You're listening to TIP. Welcome to the Money Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Clay Fink, and today is another release of our mini episode series we send out to you all every Saturday. This is the episode where it is just me diving into a specific topic to help you become a better investor. I'm super excited for today's show as I'm going to be discussing the investment framework that Adam Cecil lays out in his book, Where the Money Is. I'm also going to go through the analysis he does on Google's stock and why he invested in it back in 2016 and how he viewed the valuation back then. I recently interviewed Adam Ziesel on our show and our conversation was released back on episode 196 for those who haven't listened to it yet. Essentially, he lays out the case for investing in tech companies specifically and why they've been viewed incorrectly by many value investors over the past decade. With that, let's dive right in. You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your hosts, Robert Leonard and Clay Fink, interview successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation. So Adam wrote this fantastic book that I recommend everyone should read if they want to learn more about investing in technology companies specifically. During my conversation with Adam, he explained how his old principles of value investing were no longer working, so he had to change and adapt to the times. Instead of buying companies that were statistically cheap, he wanted to purchase great companies at a fair price that were almost certain to grow over the many years to come. One of the first types of these companies that Buffett purchased was Geico. It had a low-cost advantage, a long runway ahead, and high profit margins, and Buffett just fell in love with the company. The most important part of the business in Buffett's eyes is the moat. Here's a quote from Adam's book related to this. Buffett described this phenomenon as a moat around a business. In Buffett's worldview, every enterprise is a kind of economic castle, which in an open market economy is vulnerable to marauders. Businesses attack each other, trying to destroy their competition so they can plunder the profits inside their castle walls. The weapons they use are lower prices and constant product improvement. And usually, the only real winner is the consumer, unless that company has a moat that keeps competitors away. Only businesses with some sort of moat will prosper rather than merely survive. The key to investing, Buffett said in his 1999 speech, was that later published in Fortune is not assessing how much an industry is going to affect society, or how much it will grow, but rather determining the competitive advantage of any given company, and above all, the durability of that advantage, end quote. So the number one thing you want to look for in a company is a strong moat. If you determine that the moat is not strong, then that's an easy company to check off your list, at least in Buffett's eyes. A bad business won't make a great long-term investment, no matter how cheap it is. If you want to invest like Buffett, you want to find great businesses. After we've determined that a company has a strong moat, Adam has a number of other things he looks for in the process he lays out in his book. He has what he calls his BMP checklist, which stands for business management and price. On the business side, Adam is looking for companies that have a low market share in a large and growing market, as well as the sustainable competitive advantage or the moat. In the book, he outlines Amazon and Google as case studies that have played out successfully. One company he mentions that might fall into this category today is Intuit, which owns the accounting software QuickBooks. One key important point here that should be mentioned is not to fall prey to confuse a fast-growing company with a company that has a strong moat. 
Just because a company is growing fast does not mean it has a strong moat. This is something I personally fell prey to with a couple smaller positions I added in 2021 with the high-flying growth stocks that seemed like they could just grow to the sky. To find a strong moat, you'll want to look out for a number of things. High switching costs are definitely a good sign. Having a first mover advantage is another good sign and one I particularly like to look for is network effects. Network effects is probably the most powerful because as some companies' networks grow bigger, they get better and even harder for competitors to disrupt. So a really good network effects setup helps ensure a really strong moat for the company. So many of the large technology companies have network effects, but I'll quickly outline one for those who might not be familiar. Let's use Airbnb as an example. So they create their site and they manage to get some homes listed on there in a particular city, which customers can then stay at. Let's just say it's in Los Angeles. Some consumers find out how much cheaper it is to stay in LA at an Airbnb site than in hotels, and they end up having a great experience, so they go out and tell all their friends. This then drives up the demand for people to want to list their property on Airbnb, So with more properties listed, this brings more competition between the listings, which pushes prices down. With lower costs, this drives even more customers to their site as it's even more attractive. So more customers drive more listings, and more listings drive more customers. And the network effect continues and continues and strengthens and strengthens the moat for the company. Another great thing about network effects is in today's digital era is the speed at which they can take hold. Think of a company like TikTok. It was practically nothing. And then suddenly within a couple of years, it seemed like every single teenager had it on their phone and they were spending hours per day on it. Amazon has similar network effects and greatly benefits from the digital era, but they are more limited in how fast they can grow that network as they have to build out these fulfillment centers with all these physical buildings that many other digital companies don't have to deal with. Amazon has that physical component to their business, which can make their moat potentially even stronger. But again, it just takes them more time to build out that network effect relative to some of these other platforms. Moving on to the management side, the managers need to think and act like owners because they are making the decisions for how capital is allocated and where the company will be moving toward in the future. The managers also need to understand what drives business value for the company. You'll want to get a good idea of the level of integrity of the management and their level of honesty. Read the shareholder letters, put a heavy emphasis on the return on invested capital of the company. The way Bezos ran his company and communicated his strategy in his shareholder letters could almost be used as a template and a guidepost of what to look for in an executive team. Shifting gears to valuation, the most important driver is economic earnings. How much money does the company earn? And this isn't driven by the gap earnings shown in the financial statements because this metric is often understated for tech companies in particular. I don't want to get too deep to discuss why that is, but essentially tech companies are oftentimes spending considerable amounts on R&D to increase future earnings, which is then deducted from their earnings today. If Amazon was a more mature business and they spent less on R&D, then they probably wouldn't be nearly as expensive as they look or appear so on the surface level. When a company like Amazon spends money on R&D, 
It is 100% expensed and deducted from their earnings, but when an old school business builds a new factory, that can be deducted and expensed over many years or amortized over many years. So comparing the earnings between the two businesses like Amazon and an old school business is not really an apples to apples comparison due to the distortions that are created in gap earnings. So essentially, we will need to work through each business on a case-by-case basis to determine economic earnings and not just take the gap earnings at face value because they aren't super helpful when using that alone. Now I'd like to walk through a case study that Adam does in his book with Google, aka Alphabet, in his book and how he applies that framework to Alphabet. Munger and Buffett admit that they made a huge mistake by dismissing Alphabet, the parent company of Google. I quote from Munger, if you ask me in retrospect what our worst mistake was in the tech field, I think we were smart enough to figure out Google. So I would say we failed there. We were smart enough to do it and we didn't do it. Buffett agreed recalling how Google had first appeared on his radar screen a decade earlier when Geico began to buy Google search ads on a per-click basis. And remember that Berkshire owned Geico at the time. Buffett mentioned how they were paying $10 or $11 per click to advertise on Google. And anytime you're paying $10 or $11, every time someone just punches a little button where you've got no incremental cost, that is a great business. Each additional Google search on their site you know, is just pure profit for them after they've just built out that big infrastructure that can't be disrupted and has all this competition. It's just this digital real estate that is just so valuable to Google. And it's just so valuable to their users. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey guys, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I got married and one of the most stressful parts of our relationship has been trying to join our finances together. We all know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce, but Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, has built in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Unlike other personal finance apps that we tried, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving the product, and they release updates every two weeks and allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. Most importantly, they never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, my wife and I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners on this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com MI. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash MI for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com MI for an extended 30-day free trial. Do you guys ever feel overwhelmed with all that's going on in the markets and feel like you just can't keep up with the day-to-day news headlines? Today's show sponsor, Yahoo Finance, is my go-to solution to keeping up with today's top news and stay informed with what is happening globally. With Yahoo Finance, I'm able to see the biggest trends and biggest movers in the stock market, what is happening with interest rates, major geopolitical events, and much more. If it wasn't for Yahoo Finance, I would have no idea that Tesla is laying off 10% of their staff or why iPhone shipments are down 9% year over year. Yahoo Finance also has a number of other cool features, including a tool that lets you link in all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. 
Yahoo Finance is one of my favorite tools I use in my investing toolkit, and it's what I use each morning to kick off my day and stay in the loop with what's happening in the markets. Join more than 90 million monthly users today and get comprehensive financial news and analysis at yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Today's show is sponsored by public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate out there, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express too. So if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing, 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024, and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing member of FINRA-SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into a partner bank where they can earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. US only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. All right, back to the show. So it was quite interesting to read about how Buffett and Munger's take on Google was and how strong of a business they believe it is. Before diving into Google, Adam points out that when you're doing this type of research on tech companies, you should find that nine out of 10 times, the company isn't going to be strong enough to purchase. Either the business isn't as good as it needs to be, the management isn't as good as it needs to be, or it's just trading at too high of a price. So that's kind of his filter. It's like most companies aren't going to make it through his filter. And that's not a bad thing that you reject nine out of 10 picks. This just means that you have high standards for what qualifies as a sound investment, which will hopefully ultimately lead to high returns for investors and ultimately beating the market. Now let's talk about Google. I'm not sure that I would be talking to you today if it wasn't for Google. I'm 95% sure that I discovered the Investors Podcast Network back in my college days around 2016 by simply Googling best investment podcasts. I listened to a few podcasts and thought that Preston and Stakes content on the Investors Podcast Network was the best to tune into. I'm really grateful that Google you know, gave me really good search results and allowed me to discover TIP. Every single day, there are about 5.6 billion Google searches. Think about that. 5.6 billion. The world population is nearly 8 billion, so there's almost a Google search for every single person every single day. Google also has 10 platforms today that have over 1 billion users, and most of these platforms are totally free to use. You have Google Search, Maps, Chrome, YouTube, Gmail, Android, and a few others. Android in particular has nearly 2 billion users, and its software powers two-thirds of the world's cell phones, plus its market share continues to grow. Android also provides their software to cell phone manufacturers for free, and then they sell their high-margin apps in the Play Store to the users of the phones. Its moat is that it's a low-cost provider of cell phone software, plus it has high switching costs for both manufacturers and consumers. Moving on to YouTube, it has over 2 billion users and generates one-third of all daily mobile internet traffic. This is three times that of Facebook. 
YouTube is yet another classic example of network effects. More content creators lead to more content, which lead to more users, which leads to more ad revenue to give the creators of content, which leads to even more users, and so on and so forth. I can't even think of another platform similar to YouTube with the long-form video content that it offers, so YouTube definitely has a very strong moat. Now, the core of Alphabet's business is Google Search. Google Search's market share of the search business was 65% in 2011, and today it sits at more than 90%. Over the years, Google has used their ad revenue to make their search engine the best in the industry. This makes it yet another beneficiary of network effects. Charlie Munger, who is 98 years old, I might add, said that he has never seen a moat as strong as Google Search. Microsoft, back in the day, spent nearly $15 billion trying to compete with Google Search through their product, Bing. It essentially is a joke compared to Google Search. Bing's market share today is only around 3%. I've never seen someone pull out their phone and search something on Bing, but apparently there are people out there that do it. Pulling a quote from Adam's book, it's rare to find a single billion user digital platform with moats around it and decades of growth ahead. Alphabet has at least three of them. End quote. For Google's management, Adam explains that the early founders of Google were brilliant engineers, but not particularly the best businessmen. So Google was not as well run as it should have been for a number of years. And that was until 2015, where they brought a new CEO in to oversee the operations. They also got a new CFO shortly after it. So it was clear that the management was getting the right people in place to most benefit the shareholders in the long run. So the business was incredible. The management seemed to be taking things in the right direction as well. Let's move on to the price. Adam did this analysis back in mid-2016, but I would bet that Adam still believes that Google is still worth considering today despite the superior price appreciation since then. So in mid-2016, their operating margins were around 25%, while Alibaba and Facebook had operating margins around 40 to 50%. And after his research, he concluded that Google was a superior and larger business, so it had more economies of scale, So they should at least get to the margins that Alibaba and Facebook have. YouTube and Android at the time were both losing money for the business, and eventually these would be huge profit generators for them. So what Adam ended up doing in his research was approximate true earnings power at the time and set it equal to Facebook, which was around a 40% operating margin. So he would project out the revenues three years, multiply the revenue by the operating earnings, which was around 40%. And that gives you your estimated earnings three years out. Then he compares that to the stock price at the time, which is around 735. But he actually took the cash out of that. So it's really $638 per share after taking out the cash. Then he comes up with a price to earnings multiple of around 17 on the earnings at the time, and then a price to earnings multiple of nine based on the earnings that were projected three years out. The average multiple of the market at the time was around 20 times. So for less than the market multiple, you could get some of the best businesses on the planet with many years of runway ahead of them. One thing to note here is they didn't realize their full earnings potential at the time. Management is going to have to get you know, their business in order, and it was going to require some time for it to play out as well as it did for Alphabet. So really, this type of situation attracts long-term investors and not your short-term trader. 
And it definitely did work out very well for Alphabet. I did some quick math. Since June 30th, 2016, Alphabet stock is up around 222%, while the S&P 500 is up 90%. I thought this was just one of the many interesting case studies that Adam lays out in his book. If you haven't ordered it yet, I can almost guarantee you will not regret giving it a read. And check out my episode with him as well, which is episode 196 on the Millennial Investing Podcast. The number one thing I learned from Adam, and if there's only one thing you take from this episode, it's to only buy businesses with strong moats. Buffett does it, Adam does it, and I can guarantee you that that's the right approach when you're investing in companies for the long term. You want to ensure that they are not going to be disrupted by the competition. All right, that's all I had for today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed reading the book and putting this content together for you all. If you guys have any questions related to anything I discussed during this episode, feel free to reach out to me. My email is clay at theinvestorspodcast.com. Be sure to give me a follow on Twitter. My username is at clay underscore fink. Also, I'm starting to post some content on Instagram, so feel free to give me a follow there as well. I couldn't get the same username on Instagram, so you'll have to search for at clay.fink. That's at C-L-A-Y dot F-I-N-C-K. Thanks a lot for tuning in. We'll see you again next time. Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.